people have ever bought something that you regretted because it was misrepresented? Probably everybody. So I was on a website that will remain unnamed because I don't want to put them on blast publicly. There's not that many people in here. It was guilt. Guilt.com. G-I-L-T.com. I bought a lot of stuff on guilt because we were moving into a new house. And so I had, you know, all these things. Like, I'm like, Steve, we need five rugs. And we had all these, and all these things. And then I was like, Steve, there's a knife set on here. 450 bucks. $60. Used to be 450 Used to be 450 That's a bargain, right? <laughs> Even if you don't need new knives, you're thinking, well... Just get some extra knives. Put them in the in case there's like five people. We're doing a cooking class at my house. That was like my idea. In case we have like a bunch of people, we're all cooking together. I have enough knives. So sixty dollars, a four hundred fifty dollar knife. I saved nine hundred. No, three hundred. I can count three hundred and ninety dollars on those knives. That's how much I saved. So I got the knives though. They're flimsy. They were never four hundred fifty dollars. They look like they were worth sixty dollars, which is the exact amount that I paid for them, and that was frustrating. So then I tried to return it, but of course it's final sale. When people like buy something on sale, you think you get like a bargain. Then you realize, whoa, that was actually final sale. I have to keep this flimsy knife set that was never worth $450. It was disappointing. So I'm sure many other people have felt the pain of a final sale accident. I literally was talking to the customer care lady poor lady. I know she doesn't own the company and it's not her fault, but she's representing them, so it is what it is. And I'm talking to her. I told her, I'm like, you people wonder why Amazon is taking over the world. Easy returns. I'm sick of this. Don't tell me this knife set was ever $450. Like, poor lady, she's like, I'm sorry. I'm so I didn't make the knives. I'm sorry. You know, it's like, you know, I don't know if she ever wondered why Amazon was taking over the world, but thought I'd tell her. Um, I was just mad. So sometimes you just get something different than what you bargained for, right? Here's another one for free. I probably don't have time to tell you, but it's just hilarious, so I'm going to just say it anyway. One time we're eating in California. This is probably, mm, I don't know, five years ago. We went back to what used to be our favorite restaurant, but then like we've been in New York for a while, so now we're kind of like bougie. So we go back to California, and we're eating this restaurant. We're like, did you change or did I? Like, this was like not that good. Like, used to be our favorite. And so the waiter comes over, and he's like, He's like, oh, what would you like to try a special? And I was like, what's the special? He's like, we have squab on special. Who's ever had squab? Raise your hand. Don't eat it. Don't do it. That's what I said. What is squab? That was literally my question. He says, it's poultry. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, let's do, let's do get the squab. I'm, I'm up for food adventure. So I ordered the squab. Guess what squab is? It's weird. It's pigeon. It's pigeon. I ate it. It was weird. It was, it was not worth it. I don't know why anyone would ever eat pigeon on purpose for $36. Don't ever do it. And I used to have a neighbor who had pigeons living in her apartment. That was another story for another day. Anyway, here's the point. Sometimes we think we're getting something we actually want, and then we don't. Sometimes we get something that we didn't bargain for. And that's kind of the point of sin. Sin was actually the definition of a bait and switch. It was, it was a big bait and switch, kind of like the best one of all time. Well, the worst one, technically, but you know what I mean? Like the best trick. So the devil goes into the garden, right? Eve's like, you know, just, I don't know, planting something or like picking flowers. I don't know what they did back then. Like wasn't really anything to do except like lavish in God's love. It was probably great. But anyway, the devil was up to her and he's like, Psst, God's hiding something from you. She's like, what? No, he wouldn't. He loves me. And I was like, no, 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 he's trying to keep all this knowledge from you. He wants, doesn't want you to know everything. He knows everything. Don't you want to know all this knowledge? And he was like, well, yeah, I mean, I feel like something I don't know. I want to know. And so 
She eats the fruit. She's like, I want to get some knowledge. She eats the fruit. She realizes it. Uh-oh. No mistakes or no exchanges. Made a mistake. She did not read the fine print. It was final sale. All done. Oh, yeah, you just gave me all your authority on earth. And, oh, yeah, enter sin, which is the lack of God's presence. God's presence gone. And death, which is the physical and the spiritual separation from God. So Romans 8, 19 through 22 in the NIV says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, a.k.a. sin, and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God, i.e. redemption. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Creation. This is for creation waits. I used to think that meant the earth, you know, like the world itself. I was like, come on, save the earth. And yes, creation encompasses earth. But the word katissis, it's everything created. Everything created waits with eager expectation for deliverance from sin. Everything that fell underneath sin wants to be out of that imperfect order, longs for freedom from that bondage. The word revealed means here to appear or to manifest. So in other words, to show up. So creation has been waiting for freedom from sin because the sons of God show up. So where are the sons of God? Here, it's us, right? More on that later. Sin is a, um, sin is a really interesting word. It carries a lot of connotations, right? It's really easy to misunderstand. It's the thing we are subjected to before we receive freedom in Christ, through Jesus. And it's not something we possess as much as it's something that we are in, something that possesses us. Makes our way into our nature, you know, twists and distorts everything about who God is and who we are. And it can be kind of fully hard to grasp the true depravity of sin, you know, what it does to the earth and what we do to each other because of it. And until we realize the actual truth and reality of who we are without Jesus, we're never actually able to fully receive him. There's a realization that has to come. The Bible calls it repentance. Allowing God's spirit to set us right again through his working inside of us. Now, many of us have probably experienced this moment in our life where we realize, wow, you know, like, I'm kind of broken. I need something outside of me to help fix who I am. Many of us have come to that realization. I grew up in church for a long time, did not come to that realization for a long time. And it was actually when I was 24 years old, I was in Bible school. I was in theological school. So I was knowing all about the Bible. Didn't know Jesus, but I knew about the Bible. So I was like, does that count? And no, it does not. So unfortunately, I knew all about the Bible and did not know the one who is the word of God. But anyway, so I'm reading and I'm studying all about Genesis and like all the covenants and Abraham. I could tell you all the historical context and all the stuff. So I had just been reading about Jacob and a few people have heard me tell this story before. I had just been reading about Jacob and his wrestle with the angel of the Lord. Has anybody read about that before? So it's in, it's in Genesis 32, where Jacob wrestles with the angel of the Lord. So he sends away all of his um, you know, wives and cattle and all his things, right? They're all going ahead of him, and he's about to meet his brother, whom he has deceived out of the birthright. 
Then an, the angel of the Lord, it says, appears to him when he's alone, wrestles with him all night long until daybreak. Jacob won't relent in the wrestle. So then the angel of the Lord touches his hip, pushes it out of socket, and causes him to subdue himself, subject himself. And then basically Jacob says, bless me. And the angel says, what's your name? And he responds, Jacob. He says, no longer will your name be Jacob, but your name will be Israel because you've struggled with God and man and you've overcome. And so I had understood this story because, you know, I was a theologian, I thought. Um, and so I was going through a lot in my life at the time that, you know, my integrity was like low. <laughs> a lot of stuff was like kind of broken in who I was. And, um, I, you know, I did all the things though. Like I went to church and I led a team and I was, you know, all the things that you're supposed to be when you're a Christian. But my inner life and my outer life were not together. They could not meet. Does that make sense? Anybody ever felt that way before? Who you are on the inside and who you're trying to be on the outside, you're like, these don't match. <laughs> and it's hard to... <laughs> figure that out. It was really hard for me to figure that out. I could not piece together why I was so broken, and yet outside I was trying to pretend everything was so fine. And I had come to this point where, you know, I had, you know, made some bad choices and done some things, you know, that weren't so great, and I'd found myself in a situation that was very troubling. And I was on the floor. I was crying out to God, like, God, help me. Where are you? You know, your promises. Blah that I all know them all, I will recite them to you. And he, and he asked me one question, which I'll, let me explain something before I tell you about this question, because in this wrestle that Jacob has, so Jacob is wrestling. The angel of the Lord, anytime you see the angel of the Lord, it's an appearance of Christ. It's a Christophany. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is a picture of Christ. So anytime you see that phrase, you're looking, what is this teaching me about Jesus? And so he's wrestling with the angel of the Lord. The angel asks him, what's your name? And he replies, Jacob. Jacob means deceiver, supplanter, manipulator. If you look at Jacob's life, he actually walked in that identity. In, in the Old Testament, when you named somebody, you were naming them according to their future. They understood about names and declaration and what it means to speak something over someone because as you're saying their name, you're constantly calling out, this is who you are, this is who you are, this is who you are, every time you say their name. So Jacob, the deceiver, the manipulator, he walked in that identity. And there's five times in the Bible that God changes somebody's name and it's actually an identity transference that he's actually insinuating there, right? Saul, he changed to Paul. Peter, he, cha or he changed Peter's name from Simon. Thank you. Someone else knew the Bible. Simon to Peter. That wasn't in my notes, so I forgot. But anyway, there's five times I know that. So God changes Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel. And when he was asking Jacob his name, do you think God didn't know his name? Like, he's God. He knows his name. What do you think he was actually asking him? Who are you? Who are you? And in this wrestle that we get called into with God in our own life, there's a, there's a wrestle that takes place. And in that wrestle, we are actually meant to yield to him. Not to keep fighting, 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 fighting until we have pain that causes us to yield. We are meant to yield willingly. 
Because what Jesus wants to know is do you actually see who you are? Because if you see who you are, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to make you into somebody else. But if you can't see who you are, I can't bless you. I can't change your name if you don't know your name. And so that's where I found myself all this time not seeing myself for who I was when really everything that needed to change in me was on the other side of me laying down pride and laying down everybody else being the problem, which, it, you know, it's weird when you keep being in the same circumstance over and over again, you think you'd have something to do with it. But anyway, I didn't because I was, I was blind to who I was. And it was in this moment, right? I'm crying out to God. I'm like, oh, my life, oh, my problems, help me. And God didn't say anything to me. You know, well, he, he did say one thing. He said one line. He said, what's your name? I was like, ooh, well, it's not Jacob. It is liar, deceiver, manipulator. I had to acknowledge who I was to receive who he was. And I knew exactly what he was saying to me when he said that. What's your name? So I had to respond <laughs> to him. And that was actually the moment of repentance in my life. You know, when we encounter Jesus one-on-one, -on -one, we wrestle, we yield. We acknowledge his position of authority in our life. And we acknowledge his position of victory. And it's from that place that we see ourselves and then we receive a new identity. Do you know Israel means prince with God? So he says, what's your name? He says, Jacob, liar, deceiver, manipulator. And what does God say? No longer will your name be Jacob, but your name will be Israel, prince with God. What do we become when we yield and submit our lives and receive Jesus? Princes with God, right? It's this picture of a transfer of identity. We become co-heirs with Christ. I'm not going to even get to half of my notes, but that's okay. We'll do a part two next time or something. So we have to see ourselves clear before we can really understand that the self we have in sin isn't worth holding on to anyway. In receiving Christ, we're no longer subject to sin, but become subject to Christ, who loves us and died for us and raised us to his status as a son and a daughter of God. And thankfully, God's not like guilt's customer service. He's like himself. And he, we exchanged, you know, we exchanged our connection with God for a complete illusion, for a lie. And he's like, it's okay. I take returns, 100%, 24 hours a day, anytime. You're like, but I ate it, and it's broken, and it's used. And I took the tags off. He's like, that's okay. Bring it back. I'll give you something way better in exchange. It's literally the best deal ever. <laughs> he's like, he's like fresh direct customer care. Who's your fresh... Fresh Direct is so good. Like, you could call them and be like, so I ordered some apples with, from you. I didn't like the way they looked. I want my money back. They're like, oh, no problem. I just credited that to your account. And I give you like $10 extra because you had to call us. All right. I mean, it's just like, just, they're just giving stuff away. God's like that. Fresh Direct. Not like Fresh Direct Salvation. Oh, it didn't work. Okay. But then... You know, obviously it's free, right? We talk about how salvation is free, salvation is free. It's not by works that any of us should boast. We receive his salvation for free, but is it worthless because it's free? If I give you a billion dollars, is it worthless because I gave it to you? No, you're just really happy. <laughs> Whoa, that's a lot of money I just got for free. Salvation is like that. It's not worthless, but it is free. The value is not diminished because we receive it by faith. The value is high. 
In Romans 1, um, 8, 1 through 6, in the Passion Translation, which is somebody's favorite on the front row. I know you love the Passion. And Nicole doesn't like it. She does not, she said. She, we, we were reading some of the Passion the other day. She's like, I don't get it. Like, what's he talking about? <laughs> so funny. <laughs> so I don't know. You be the judge. Do you love it or hate it? We'll see. Romans 8, 1 through 6 in the Passion, it says, so now the case is closed. There remains no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. For the law of the spirit of life flowing through the anointing of Jesus has liberated us from the law of sin and death. For God achieved what the law was unable to accomplish because the law was limited by the weakness of human nature. Yet God sent his son in humanity, um, sorry, in human form to identify with human weakness. Clothed with humanity, God's son gave his body to be the sin offering so that God could once and for all condemn the guilt and power of sin. So now every righteous requirement of the law can be fulfilled through the anointed one living his life in us. And we are free to live, not according to our flesh, but by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. Those who are motivated by the flesh only pursue what benefits themselves, but those who live by the impulses of the Holy Spirit are motivated to pursue spiritual realities. For the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset controlled by the Spirit finds life and peace. So we all have a choice, right? We're in Christ, or we are in sin. There's actually no two options in sin in Christ. It's like, can I see behind door number three? No, there's no door number three. There's just door one and door two. You're in Christ, you're in sin. There are two choices that we make. Sometimes I think that it gets easy to pretend there's a door number three because like it makes life, anyway. <laughs> but that's the whole thing. There's two choices, two choices. Those of us who receive his spirit receive life in exchange for death. Romans 8, if we go on in the chapter 14 through 17, says the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough. But you received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never, never feel orphaned. For as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father. That's what we call out to God. In another translation, it says, Abba, Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being, you are God's beloved child. And since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. You who have the spirit of God are the children of the father, just like Jesus as the first example. There's something really interesting in these two um, in two words. There's two words in this for child. So you see a ch the word child and the word son. Child, it's, it's literally the word technon. It just means children. It's like, I had a child, technon. It's like, that's... Greek. Um, you know, and then the other word for son is huios. This is a different word. And the reason why this word is being used in this is because huios, son, is the word that Jesus always used to refer to himself, son of man, son of God. That's where that word is always found. So God, these titles used for Jesus, this was also the title spoken of Abraham, or sorry, of, A of Adam, the first created son of God. But who is Jesus? He's often called the second Adam, 
the second son of God. We have been adopted as sons, little sons. Ones like him is literally what it's meaning. Ones like Jesus. And he's specifically using that phrase so that the reader would identify with Jesus' names for himself. Son of God, son of man. Paul is specifically making reference to that identity, that the creation waits for the ones like Christ to be revealed, the adopted ones to appear and do their job on the earth in the pattern of Christ. It's so interesting, too, this, um, in verse 15, it says, Abba, Father, right? Has anyone ever wondered, like, why is this Aramaic word in the Greek and then in the English, like, why did that transfer through? Well, in Mark 14, 36, we see Jesus calling out to God. That's a name he uses for God. He says, Abba, Father. And so this phrase becomes kind of another way that early Christians are identifying with Christ, that they're calling God by this intimate name. Abba is like an intimate, it's like beloved, daddy, father. It's it's an intimate word for God. And we see Jesus call out to God in distress using that phrase, Abba, Father, when he's about to go to the cross. And so in the early church, they use this phrase to identify themselves with Christ, to identify that just as Christ called out, Daddy, so can you, because he's your father in the same way that he was his father. And that's why they leave that phrase, because of the meaning, the connotation of that phrase. We don't just cry out, God, we cry out, Father. There's intimacy in our cry. There's intimacy with our God. He's just not God. He is Father. He is your Father. In verse 29 of the same chapter, it actually says, Jesus is the first of many brethren. Let's give the King James a little bit. The first of many brethren. What does that actually mean? Jesus, the first of many brethren. So Jesus being the first, right? Has anyone heard the word prototype? Prototype. It's the first thing you create that then you use as a a staple. You know, he's like, well, I'm going to create something. First, I have to make a prototype first for this new thing I'm going to make. So the word for Jesus there, the firstborn, prototos, or sorry, prototokos, prototokos. Prototokos, prototokos, means the firstborn. Look it up yourself, and you try to pronounce it in public, the microphone. Anyway, it's where we get the word prototype. It's the original point of reference, the first thing created of a kind. So saying Jesus is the prototype. He's the first thing created of a new kind. He's the first thing created of a new kind. Then it says, We, among many brethren, I don't like that word. I don't really think it's relevant in this case because the word there is Adelphos. Who's heard Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? That root, Adelphos, it means a sibling with the same ancestor. It had to be the same mother, same father, same blood. The bloodline, that's what that word is referring to. Jesus, the first one created of a new kind of a new bloodline. Everyone in that bloodline. So not just adopted, but adopted by blood. You heard of blood brothers where you mix your blood together? That's like that whole same thing. We can do that after if you want. Covenant. Let's make covenant. Just kidding. I'm not going to do that with anyone. I don't know you that well. Anyway. (laughs) I would would do it with Steve. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. That's how much I trust you and your blood. Um, So Jesus is the firstborn of ones like him. 
How many of us know that we've been adopted into the bloodline of Christ? So it's not just like, oh, now you're all my children. You can all be in my family, but Jesus is my real son. You know, have you ever been the stepchild? Like, nobody wants to be the stepchild. Everybody wants to be the real child, right? So we are also the real child. So Jesus was the real child, and then he's like, do you guys want to be real children too? We're all the same with him. But it's not, be, it's not that we're equal, like, oh, like, Jesus, like, I'm the same as you. He's like, no, I'm actually, like, so much greater than you, but I invite you to be the same as me. And we're like, thank you so much. I received that. We're invited to be the same. In John 1, 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. John is trying to prove a point, obviously. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. So when John describes Jesus as the word made flesh in John chapter 1, he's talking about Jesus Christ, obviously, the word made flesh. And in the beginning, when God created the world, he used what? Words. The word that he spoke, that's the word that became flesh. Jesus is the creative agent of all things that exist. Remember the first verse that we read in Romans 8? Creation waits for the sons of God to be revealed. In other words, the ones like Christ to come and bring deliverance from sin and fear and death. So in other words, Jesus, the creative agency, all things created through him, the things he created long to be reconciled to him. But who has authority in the earth? Do all things created have authority? No. There's only two people or persons, it's not human beings, two, two that have authority in the earth. The devil has authority, or actually stolen authority. And Jesus has authority. We have authority because we're in Christ. Only in Christ do we have authority. Because Jesus came as a second Adam to take back the authority Adam lost and gave over willingly to the enemy. And so now we walk in the new authority of Jesus. In Genesis 2-7, it says, Then the Lord God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into Adam's nostrils, and he became a living person. So all things find their creation in him and long for union with him. And without the Spirit of God, there is actually no life. In the very beginning, right? God breathed into Adam. He <gasps> wakes up. He becomes alive. What was he before the Spirit? Dead. Dead. It's not a trick question. He was dead. So he became alive with it. So I thought he was dead. He was dead. Um, the spirit, the word for spirit, ruah. It's a word that means the spirit of life that flows from God. I want us to see a parallel that's really cool. So God breathes into the human body of Adam. He becomes alive, right? Receive life. What happened? God said, if you eat of this fruit, in other words, if you disobey me, if you break our covenant of trust, you will surely what? Die. What happens when we die, the Spirit of God left. That's what happened when sin entered the picture. The Holy Spirit, the presence of God, that was, that's what was lost. The presence had to depart because it cannot be in the presence of sin. So Adam loses the presence of God. Then creation, all creation. They're like, dang it, Adam, Like you lost our presence. So everybody we're like, oh, we really long for this presence that we lost. Jesus dies. He's resurrected to new life. He conquers death as the first of those like him. The church, a.k.a. the body of Christ, 
Has anyone understand? The body of Christ, that's a term used all the time for the church. The body of Christ. We receive the spirit of God, which gives us life in exchange for death. So Adam received the spirit of God. He comes alive. The body of Christ, which is the new Adam, receives the Holy Spirit. We become alive. Jesus says in John 20, 21 through 22, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. This is when he's resurrected and he comes to appear before the disciples. He says, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the spirit. Does anybody see the parallel? I love it. Maybe it's just me. Let me go home and study myself, preach to myself. I love it. Our purpose on earth, you know, and I'm going to end here in a, in a few minutes because I know we want to get out on time. But Romans 8, 19 through 21 says the entire universe, and this is, this is in the, the passion again. I don't know if people are going to love it on this side of the room. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. For against its will, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. But now, now, everybody say now. Now, with eager expectation, all creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us, the sons and daughters of God, the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. I originally thought this scripture was talking about the return of Christ. Like, that's kind of always what I, what I assumed. It's talking about one day when Jesus comes back, like creation will be like, yay, we're free from sin. But in Revelation chapter twenty. One, it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven, old earth had passed away. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And he seated on the throne and said, I am making everything new. So does the earth need redemption when it's like gonna be gone? No, it needs redemption now. This is not, these verses, it's not until verse 23, in my opinion. It's not until verse 23 that he actually moves into the future tense. And he talks about how we long and creation yearning and then, you know, the sun's, you just read it. But from 23 on, it moves into the future. But up until 22, I don't think he's talking about the end of days. I think he's talking about the tension between redemption now and redemption that's coming. That there's redemption now that we're called to walk in and we redeem and redeem and redeem until such a time as there's full redemption. But our assignment on earth, Matthew 6.10, it says, in earth as it is in heaven, let your will be done, right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we have an assignment, an offensive assignment, by the way, not a defensive one. We don't run around scared of the devil. Are you kidding me? We go out offensively to bring the kingdom of God anywhere that there's darkness. And that's actually our assignment. And it's not an assignment for just like a few of us. It's an assignment for every single person in Christ. Jesus said, as I, but I'm sending you. So he's like, I'm going, but you, it's you, tag, you're it. <laughs> it's you, the world is depending on you and it's depending on me. We're called now to bring redemption to all things created. And that's not just people, that's earth itself. The systems of earth, the people of earth, the, the earth, the earth, like plants, animals, all of it. The cosmos, the cosmos, I like that, yes. So we are the ones who actually have the authority to set things right in creation. You know, let us not leave our job undone. And once we become restored in Christ, we automatically become the restorer. The restored with the assignment to restore. 
It's actually practical. It's not like we run around and say to creation, you are free from the curse. Like, they're like, cool, so do something. Do something to help me be free. Don't treat me like this. Uh, you know, tell me about the love of God. Heal my broken arm. I don't know. Do something that sets me free from the law of sin and death. <laughs> it's our assignment. We hold life in our hands. We hold righteousness in our hands. We hold the kingdom in our hands. So we go around releasing that, and it actually doesn't, we don't do anything unless we actually go. So unless we go, there's nothing that will happen. And it's us. It's sometimes we think it's everybody else's job. It's nobody else's job except my job. If we think like that, we'll actually do it. If we take responsibility of our assignment, we'll do it. You know, real quick, me and Sparrow were walking up the stairs of the subway, which I try to take, you know, take our kids on the journey and, like, get them into situations. Where, like, usually Sparrow, when she sees somebody, she's like, oh, I want to pray for them. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. I love that. So we, were, we saw this lady, and Sparrow, actually, I was kind of, like, in a rush, but she's like, Mom, we need to pray for that lady. I was like, oh, okay, great. Yes. All right. Let's do it, you know? So we go up to her. Like, um, the Holy Spirit told me a word of knowledge. Hey, her, her knee. There's something wrong with her knee. And so I ask her, something wrong with your knee? She says, yeah, how did you know that? I said, well, you know, God loves you. God sometimes speaks to us, tells us things about people because he wants to, like, love them, wants to heal them. She's like, really? I'm like, that's, it's really, it's true. Um, you know, and I'm going to say, can we pray for you? And usually when you say to somebody, can I pray for you? They, they're like, sure, yeah, okay, great, bye. You're like, no, no, now. I want to pray for you right now. I want to I touch your knee. Is that okay? I don't know you, but hi, my name's Rama. Can I touch your knee? Um, and she she goes, she goes, uh, I'm actually really late and I have to get to um a you could tell she was kind of like, I don't know what to say, but no, I don't, I don't want you to touch me. So um she I said, Can we pray for you right now? And she that's when she, oh, I don't know, I'm late. And so I I said, I don't know what came over me, probably the Holy Spirit or something. I'm kind of like this though anyway. But I go, I go, no, like that. And I was like, I mean, you you can leave if you want, but, um, I mean, like, it's not like I'm saying you can't leave, but uh, is it okay? No, we just really, just real quick, just it'll take five seconds. And so I'm like, so it's cool if I touch your knee, right? Okay, in Jesus' name, be healed. And then and she stands up, and she had a tumor in her knee, actually, was the problem. So she stands up, and she's like, wow, it doesn't hurt anymore. She goes, I'm so glad I met you. I was like, well, now you're glad. You weren't glad five seconds ago. That was awkward for me. I had to stop you in the name of Jesus, you know? Um, but yeah, so I pray for she gets healed, and me and Sparrow were like, yeah, good job, high five, you know? And she's like, I'm so glad I met you. And I'm like, you know what? Jesus loves you. God loves you. I didn't heal your knee. Jesus healed your knee. You know, this is, this is practical things. I had somewhere to be. Like, it's not like I went out, like, let me find someone to heal. Sometimes I do that, but I wasn't doing that that day. I was doing something else. And so sometimes we can allow ourselves to get distracted because like, oh, I have things to do, I'll be somewhere, da, 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 da. It's like, no, there's people in front of us all the time. God is wanting you, the son, the daughter of God, the one like him, to step into their situation and bring freedom and bring life. It's our job. You know, there's liberation that comes now and there's liberation that comes later, that comes in the end. But the amount of freedom that we experience now has everything to do with us. And our decision as the body of Christ to take our purpose seriously on the earth. And so that's what, I mean, if I could sum up in one message, you know, like what we're about at Revive, it's that. Go. Go. That's why we say church without walls. That's why this isn't, our main thing is not just, oh, we gather together and we like sing some songs and we slip out of the back early. And then I say, I went to church this week. 
if that is not us, that is not our culture. We are about equipping, empowering people to change the world, to own their space, to go and obey the commission that Christ has on your life. Firstly, to make disciples. Firstly, to preach the gospel. And secondly, to do the other things that we do in life. Because everything we do in life actually flows out of our first commission, our first purpose. We wonder, what's the purpose for my life? I don't know. Like, what am I supposed to do? Go tell people about Jesus. Go preach the gospel. That is your purpose. Beyond that, be a nurse or a doctor or a teacher or something else. But everybody has the first call and commission to Jesus. And so I want to pray for people who may not know Jesus at all because he is always willing, always open. Like I said, he is like fresh direct. He's like, I will take it back even if you ate it all. He is, he is so good. He's so good. And if you don't know him, you need to. I'm not even asking, like, would you like to? You need to. <laughs> but of course it's your choice. But I don't know what, like, why you wouldn't. Anyway, it's the best choice you'd ever make. Kind of like a no-brainer. But if you don't know Jesus, what I want to do, we have a ministry team. And these are people, like, we'd only, um, by the way, like, after our service, we have our ministry team up here. They, they want to pray for you. They've been trained to do so. They want to lead you in, in freedom in your life or healing. If you need healing in your body, if you just need somebody to pray for you, that's awesome. We would love to do that. And so only people with our ministry team tags will be doing that after the service. But they'll be just right around here. And, um, and we would love for you to come receive some healing, some prayer from those guys. Um, but other than that, if you actually don't know Jesus, can I get everybody to close your eyes? And, you know, sometimes people say, hey, pray this prayer with me, and then you'll be a Christian. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with praying a prayer as long as you meant it and your life changes after that. <laughs> so there's that, there's that it's, it's, the, it's the yielding, right? Remember the wrestle? It's the laying down our life. It's the yielding to Christ. Because it's not until we yield that he can change our name. And he wants to change your name just like he changed my name. Because it wasn't until I admitted and saw who I really was that I was able to become someone else. And he wants the same for you. And so if you want that in your life and you'd say, you know what, maybe you even grew up in church. I grew up in church. I'm telling you. I was like, church kid. I was all up in the church, every ministry possible. And I did not ever have an encounter with Jesus where I yielded my life. And that's what this is. That's what this moment is. It's the yielding of our life to Jesus Christ. Saying, I actually need, need you. And I need your spirit transformative in me. And so if that's you, I want you to lift a hand. And I want you to, um, to come up after. We actually have our team up here, and they will pray with you, and they will talk to you about what the next steps are in living as a Christian. Because we would love to help you do that. It's important that you have a church home. It's important that you start to learn the Bible, that you start to, you know, start the process of healing in your life and becoming whole. And we want to help you figure out those next steps. So awesome. I'm going to hand it over to, to Steve, and we're going to close out the service. Right? I am, right? Right? He's looking at me. Am I doing that? I don't have to do that. I can just say, amen, be blessed. But, you know. <laughs> yes. Great word. Thank you. Amazing word. Wow. I want to hear part two. I'm ready for part two. Well, his ministry team want to stand up? Here on ministry.